So today we are wrapping up our series on worship called Undone. And Joanna and Gavin did an excellent job the last two weeks on speaking from worship from a perspective of their own lives and the things that they've experienced. Joanna really talked about how when we are undone in the presence of the Lord, then he redoes us on the inside. And then what really happens is what Gavin talked about last week. We want to express what God's done. We want to express our heart to the Lord in the ways that we worship. And Gavin really, he really challenged some of us on, on how we worship, raising our hands, clapping, whatever that might look like for you. And so today, God has given me a very, a very tender and personal word that I'm very excited to share with you. And I may cry at some point, but that's okay. Um, and the title of my message is, When Opportunity Knocks when opportunity knocks. And so just hang with me for a minute and we will get to the, the origin of that title in just a second. But, you know, like I said it a minute, a minute ago, we tend to think of worship as what we are doing outwardly, how we are manifesting it. And some of you are comfortable doing different things. Um, I, sometimes we got our jumpers and our hoppers down here in the front row and we've got our clappers and, and, and however you're comfortable. And I, I love that. And it was good for us to be challenged in it. But when do you feel most inspired to worship? I, I know for me sometimes, if, if I'm in the car and the radio's playing, or maybe I've got um, a, a set list playing at home, and like just that, that right song comes on, and you're like, oh, this is the one. This is the one. And so you crank it up, and you just worship like nobody's there, because a lot of times they aren't in the car. But I know for me, I like my music loud. I like it loud. And so this is a little bit of a problem. I mean, Gary and I are getting older. Our hearing is not what it used to be. And um, so what happens is I'll be home cleaning or cooking or doing something. And I've got the worship music just blaring in the background. And he'll come in the room and, and he'll just be like, hun. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's just like it startles me because I never, I never heard him coming up. But like, I, I like to worship loud. Um, I also know sometimes on a Sunday morning, like, how about you? Sometimes you come in and, and you're just you're like, you're not feeling it. And then the minute, I mean, the minute the worship team starts, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to enter into worship um, no matter what I'm feeling on the inside. It sets the tone sometimes when we worship corporately. And, and sometimes we worship because God does something really amazing in our lives. So this year, for the first time in over a decade, the Groffs got a tax refund. And so we were like, I, I seriously texted our accountant and I was like, did you make a mistake? Because like, this just, this just doesn't happen. So, uh, I mean, I was just thrilled. And so of course that was cause for great rejoicing in the land. I mean, we were just ecstatic about God's provision in that way. Um, but here's the thing. When we study worship from a biblical perspective, it is less about the posture of your physical body and it is more about the posture of your heart. And so that's, that's the basis on which we want to discuss worship this morning. It is a heart posture. Now, I, I saw some people bowing this morning, bowing low in their worship. They were physically demonstrating their heart to the Lord in that way. But, but it's really a heart posture of humility and of bowing to the Lord's sovereignty and, and believing that He is God and I am not. I am not. It is, it is honor, respect, adoration, and all. And so a lot of times our outward expression of worship is based on how we feel. 
Like today, I feel really happy, so I think I'm going to clap. I think I'm going to raise my hands. But it's, it's really not based on our emotions. It's not based on our circumstances. It is based on a heart that is postured toward the Lord. It's not always easy to worship. And what happens when you don't feel like it? What happens when you don't feel like it? I, a lot of you are sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm tracking. I know exactly what you're talking about. Because 2020 has not been the best year for some of us. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and so it can be hard to cultivate a heart of worship when we are in the middle of a year that has challenged us so deeply on every level. But it is still possible. It is still possible. Some of you came here today with burdens that feel so heavy, you can barely lift your head, much less your arms. And I get that, and we're gonna address that today. But I think the thing, the thing we need to address is what do we do, how do we worship when the circumstances around us give us no reason in the natural to want to do so? How do we still cultivate a heart that is postured toward the Lord? Psalm 31, Psalm 34, 1 is my basis for the sermon this morning. And it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want us to break that down a little bit. When it says, I will bless the Lord, it actually means I will celebrate. I will celebrate the Lord at all times. I will celebrate the Lord at all times. And, and that phrase, all times, means this. It means in all experiences, on all occasions, and in all opportunities. In all opportunities. And so that's why today I want to talk about when opportunity knocks. There are opportunities for you to worship that you've not thought of yet. Because in the natural, it didn't feel like a great time to worship. But we're going to make a case for it today. What, what is God looking for in our hearts. And when it says his praise shall continually be in my mouth, it means perpetual, constant, always, and I love this, it means stretch. Now, I think it means that like stretch your worship out, keep going, keep worshiping no matter what, right? But I thought to myself, you know what? There are days when worshiping just feels like a stretch. I'm like, I just, I just don't know if I can do it today. I just don't know if I have it in me. And so we have to push past that because the word says his praise should continually be in our mouths. We, we do not worship God because our lives are perfect. We worship God because he is perfect. And that is a distinct difference. And when we begin to get a hold of that, it shifts the way we respond to him from the inside out. Our focus, here's the thing, our focus has to be on worshiping for who he is and not what he does. Now, it was perfectly fine for Gary and I to rejoice over the tax refund, right? Some days, something really good just happens. And you can't help it. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Like, that was awesome. Can't believe you did that. I'm just, I'm so grateful. And, and, and it just comes naturally. But how about it? That's a little bit like riding a roller coaster because one day you're like, God is good, everything's wonderful, he just answered a prayer, and then the next day you might totally tank and there go your emotions right with it. And you're like, well, I don't feel like worshiping today because today wasn't so good. Today I got some bad news. Today things got a little bit messy in my life. And so if we are basing our worship on our circumstances, on what we can see, we are gonna be riding that roller coaster on a regular basis. But 
what is the one thing in our lives that remains constant? It's Jesus Christ. And so we can continually worship him because he continues to be good. And so we can always find a basis to worship on that alone, even if absolutely nothing else in our lives seems to be inspiring a heart of worship within us. It is easier to worship him constantly when you realize that he is your constant. And that is our foundation. So what does it look like to worship when life is not perfect? We're gonna look at three characters from the Bible and some unique opportunities they had to worship. And I hope that it inspires and encourages you today as you set your heart posture to be one of worship to the Lord. And so the first one is this, the first opportunity that will knock is this, when you have no idea what comes next. You have no idea what's coming next. I mean, truthfully, I think we all feel a little bit of that right now. But I'd like to go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you will recall, Abraham and his wife Sarah had struggled with infertility for decades. And in Romans 4, it tells us that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead because he was almost 100 years old. And it says that Sarah's womb was also dead. So there was no reason in the natural to expect God to be doing anything miraculous, but he did. It says Abraham believed that God had the power to do what he had promised. And so God gave him a son because he said, I'll give you a son. You're going to be the father of many nations. And so Genesis 22 then follows on what seems like kind of a bizarre request that God makes of Abraham. So pick it up with me in Genesis 22 at verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Isaac replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. So at this point, they get to the location where God has directed them and picture this, his only son, the son he had waited all these years for, he builds an altar, he places the wood on it. It says he binds his son Isaac and lays him on top of it and then he picks up his knife for the sacrifice. And at that point, the Lord jumps in and he says, stop. Stop, don't lay a hand on the boy because I now see that you're willing to give me everything. You're not even withholding your son who is so very dear to you. And so Isaac looks up, he sees a ram whose horns are caught in in the thicket, in the brush, and he sacrifices the ram instead of Isaac. Now, here's the thing. Isaac could not possibly have known how that was gonna play out. He couldn't have known. He he set out on this journey at at the Lord's command but, but think about the timing of when Abraham worshiped. So 
I don't know if I ever caught it before until I read it this week that he traveled for three days. I know what I would have been thinking during those three days, and it would not have been happy thoughts about the Lord. You know, it would have been fear, anxiety, maybe some anger at what God was asking me to do. I know how I would have spent it. You ever, ever take walks and like have imaginary conversations about what you would like to say to somebody? You never actually do it, but it just, it's like cathartic to practice to the air. And so, but this is not, I don't think this is what Abraham did. I, my honest opinion is I think he spent those three days rehearsing the goodness of God and thinking about his history with the Lord, how the Lord had taken him from one land to another and had prospered him there, how the Lord had rescued his son, his, his nephew Lot, how the Lord had given him the son that he had promised him. I think Abraham was focused on the goodness of God and the unchanging nature of God. And that's why he could say to his servants, we're gonna go worship. We're gonna go worship because he knew that worship was a heart position. He knew that, and he was able to walk in obedience. I, I think he trusted that God was gonna be faithful no matter what. God was gonna be faithful no matter what. I, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2002, and I still remember the night, it was a Wednesday night when I got the diagnosis. Um, when, once you go to the doctor a lot, you begin to learn, and someone in the office actually told me this, the results are almost always on the doctor's desk. So if you call, we'll tell you what they say. So after a period of time. So I called, I hadn't heard anything, and I wanted to know. And um, my doctor was out that week, and they said, we'll have a different doctor call and give you the results. And so I hung up the phone, and I was there in my kitchen, and I had worship music playing, and Rita Springer had a song that so ministered to me that night. It was called, You Are Still Holy. You Are Still Holy. And I heard the one line of the song where it said, You are still holy even when I don't understand your ways. And in that moment, I felt like the Lord said to me, You're going to get the call and they're going to tell you that you have cancer. But it's okay. And I wish I could explain to you, you know, there's the verse in the New Testament that says that he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. I can't explain it to you because I don't understand it. But in that moment, a supernatural impartation of peace came over me and I was okay. I was okay. I just felt like the Lord's been good to me. He's brought me this far. I will continue to trust him on this journey, even though I have no idea where this is going. After this moment, this, this phone call is a definitive moment. It's gonna change everything, and I don't know what that means. But I know I can trust the Lord with it. And he was faithful. He was so faithful to me during that season. Gary and I often said, we felt like we walked around in a bubble of grace. It's not that it wasn't hard, but his grace was greater than the hard thing he was asking me to do. And I believe that that's exactly what Abraham was experiencing as well. You can worship when you don't know the outcome, when you believe that God's gonna be good to you no matter what, because our worship is not based on results. If our worship was based on results, we'd be all over the place, guys. We'd be all over the place because our circumstances are all over the place. How about it? But we can stay consistent in worship because we know he's consistent. His kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, they never waver, they never change. You can take that to the bank. And so even when you have no idea what's coming next, no idea at all, you can trust him in the midst of it. What are some other opportunities for us 
to worship the Lord, to worship him from a heart posture. The second opportunity is, is this, when you are in the middle of a mess, when you are in the middle of a mess. And you know what? Your mess might look completely different from the person sitting beside of you, but I'm, I'm guaranteeing, we got a lot of messes represented in this room. But it's an opportunity for us to worship in the middle of the mess. Psalm 34.1 says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. There is no disclaimer that says, except when things get messy, except when things get hard. It just says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth, period. Stops right there. I'd like you to think about the story of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Now, they had been ministering, and uh, there was a, a woman with a demonic spirit that allowed her pr to predict the future. And she would go around fortune-telling, and she was making a lot of money uh, for her slave owners. And so she was following Paul and Silas around, kind of making a nuisance of herself. Some versions say that Paul turned to her because he was annoyed. He, he, she just kept following them around, talking to them, and he wasn't annoyed that she was talking. He was annoyed because of the spirit that was in her. Um, that he, he, he hurt for her. He hurt for what she was experiencing. So he cast the spirit out. He cast it out. And then what happens? She's set free, but the owners are furious because now their source of income is gone. And so Paul and Silas are dragged before uh, the Roman soldiers and the magistrates. They're accused of being troublemakers. And the people say, um, they're throwing the whole city into confusion. They're trying to force us Romans to believe in their Jewish customs and ways. And so I, I want you to picture what happens next. You want to talk about the middle of a mess? This is where Paul and Silas find themselves right now. The Bible says that they are stripped bare, and it says that they are beaten with rods on their bare backs. And the King James Version uses this phrase. It says, they laid many stripes on them. They laid many stripes on them. And I, for some reason, th this week, that visual just, just messed me up because I could picture the stripes on their backs, on their bare, bare backs, beaten with rods. And so they're, they're put in prison. And I want you to picture this. Prisons then were a little different than our prisons today. They, uh, it says they were put in an inner cell. That could have been a dungeon just based on excavation of prisons from Bible times. Um, but they're put in an inner cell. So here's what you need to realize. In the inner cell, there is no light because there are no windows. And so they are in the pitch dark with their backs bleeding and bare. There would have been no airflow. And the reason they would have put them in there because there would have, it would have made it more challenging for them to escape. They would have had to get through multiple doors. They would have had to get past multiple soldiers. And so they wanted to make sure these guys did not get out of prison. They also put their feet in stocks. And stocks could look uh, several different ways, but typically they were blocks of wood that encased their feet, and then a lot of times the feet were chained together. You weren't going anywhere because of that block of wood. And it was hard to get comfortable, but the most comfortable position was probably just to sit with your legs stretched out in front of you in the stocks. So what happens? I want you to picture this. What happens when Paul and Silas get sleepy? They want to lay back, and what are they laying on? The backs that have just been beaten, bloody, and raw. And that's the situation Paul and Silas find themselves in. They are in the middle 
of a mess. But this is what it says, Acts 16, 25 and 26. It says, Paul and Silas, undaunted, undaunted, they prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Suddenly, a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. And so what happens next? This poor jailer, like he knows he is in big trouble if these guys have escaped. And he comes rushing out and it says he shines a light. Why did he have to shine a light? Because it was pitch dark in the prison. And he's assuming that all of them have run. And, and he looks, he shines the light around, and they say, no, we're all here. We're all here. And he is completely undone in this moment. And he says to them, what do I need to do to be saved? And so Paul and Silas lead him and his entire family to the Lord, and they are baptized. We had spontaneous baptism here about a month ago. This was a spontaneous baptism. I can't even imagine the joy. And that's what it says. It says the jailer and his family were filled with joy in their newfound faith in God. I want you to think about it. When you worship in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the storm, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts all the people around you who are watching you. And I'm telling you, they are. It might be your children. It might be your coworkers. It might be other people here at church. But other people are watching and something happens to me when I see somebody worshiping God in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the pitch dark season of their lives, when their faith is unwavering because they are convinced that God is good, even though there's no evidence to prove it in the natural. We talk here about impacting lives for eternity, boom, right there. That's what Paul and Silas did because they were willing to worship in the middle of their mess. Paul had a history with the Lord at this point. He knew that he had encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus. He knew the Lord had forgiven him for persecuting and killing God's people. He had watched the Lord rescue him over and over again in the midst of stonings and beatings. And so Paul and Silas, they were undaunted. They were undaunted and willing to worship God in the midst of it. He decided that Jesus was worth the worship. He was worth the worship, no matter what the season looked like. John 4.23 says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. I want you to hear this in the Passion Translation. It says, from here on, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. You don't have to wait to be in the right place to worship. You just need the right heart before the Lord because he is worthy of it and because you can trust him in the middle of the mess. I think what's so cool about the Lord is he asks us to worship in the midst of those hard times and then his Holy Spirit within us supernaturally empowers us to do it. Isn't that amazing? He, he requires something and then he gives us the ability to do it at the same time. It's such a gift. It's such a gift. And when you experience that, what Paul and Silas have experienced, it is life-changing. It is life-changing. 
Honestly, I have, I have worshiped the Lord at times with tears streaming down my face because the pain of the situation I was in was so great. But I knew, I knew he was greater. I knew he was greater. I knew I could trust him. I, a lot of times for me, this happens when I'm walking. I usually walk in the morning and pray. And, and there are days where I am, I am weeping and worshiping as I go because maybe I'm having a hard time coming up with a good reason to worship him based on what I'm seeing in my life or in the world. But when I focus on who he is, it changes my heart. And I begin to declare the truth of his word. I say, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your timing. I say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. I say, the enemy has set out to steal, kill, and destroy me, but no, you have come that I might have an abundant life. You are, you are merciful. You are the God of hope. You will fill me with all joy and peace as I trust in you, and I will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can say those things even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, because it's true. This is the truth. This is the constant in our lives. When everything else is up for grabs, he remains solid. I remember when I was in the hospital um, undergoing treatment for my cancer. Thyroid uh, cancer is a little different than other cancers. You swallow radioactive iodine, and it, the idea is that it goes through your system and kills any residual um, thyroid tissue so that cancer doesn't have an opportunity to grow. And so I had to be isolated for several days in the hospital, and then isolated an additional five days at home. I always say I felt like a shunned Amish person. Uh, I couldn't eat with them, I couldn't hang out with them, I couldn't touch them. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't there. So anyway, but in the hospital, uh, those first couple of days, I was very radioactive. And so uh, nobody came in my room. Like even the doctors and the nurses, they would come to the door and they would just push it open and lean their heads in and be like, how you doing? You know, you okay? And, and the guys from uh, radiology would come and they would have to scan me a couple times a day um, to monitor how much radiation was still in my system. I couldn't go home until a certain amount of it had dissipated or I don't even know what it does, but disappears. And so um, they would come in in like their hazmat suits and with their little machine and they would stand across the room. I mean, that was social distance for you. They would stand across the room and they would scan my body and then they would, they would monitor the readings and, and keep track of how I was doing. But here's the thing, I wasn't allowed to take anything in the room because anything I took in had to be destroyed because it was radioactive. And so I didn't want to take my Bible because it was precious to me, because I had things marked up and written in the margins. And so I just went to Goodwill and bought a Bible to sustain me for those few days I was in the hospital. And I'll never forget, by the third day, uh, a precious little nurse came in and I'm sitting there on my bed. I had been alone in that room with Jesus for several days. And I discovered in that moment that he was actually more than enough. He was more than enough to sustain me. And this little nurse comes in, and I'm sitting there on my bed. There was nowhere else to go, nothing else to do. I'm sitting there on my bed with my Bible, and I'm just reading it, and I'm weeping, and I'm worshiping who he is in the midst of this mess, in the midst of this mess. And turns out she knew Jesus. And she came in and she saw me there weeping and she just ministered to me, tears in her eyes. She's like, yes, yes, that's where you go. That's where you go for your answers. 
Here's what, here's what you need to understand, guys. I, I was thinking about this during worship this morning. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I'm not saying I want to do it again. I'm saying I wouldn't trade it because I learned to know the faithfulness and the goodness of God in that season in a way I never had before. And I shudder to think who I would be if he had not allowed me to experience the very thing that drove me to my knees and drove me to him. I will forever be grateful for that because it changed my life in such a profound way. I, I, it changed me. There was a whole lot less of me and a whole lot more of him from that time on. Oh, we, we can praise him in the middle of the mess. We don't worship God because we love our circumstances. We worship God because we love who he is in the midst of our circumstances. And it's a huge difference. And when you begin to get a hold of that, I'm not saying you're going to start to wish for hard times. I'm not saying you're going to want to go through trauma or drama or pain. I'm just saying when you do, you find out that he is still worthy of worship in the midst of it because he's good. He's a good God. A third opportunity for us to worship is this. When we don't get a happily ever after. So it's one thing when we're talking about Abraham and he's there climbing up the mountain with Isaac and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's another thing to be Paul and Silas in jail and you're in the middle of a mess. But what about if you're on the other side of that thing and you realize you are not getting a happily ever after here on this earth? Because sometimes... That's just the truth. I'm not saying God can't come in and do miracles. He does that all the time. But sometimes your marriage isn't reconciled and you sign the divorce papers. And sometimes you don't get the healing and someone you love dies. And I'm telling you, I think a lot of you have grieved this year because the business that you had poured your heart and soul into didn't make it. And you don't see any way that you can resurrect that thing. We don't see the opportunity for a happily ever after here on earth. And so how do we worship God in those moments when it's so hard, when our hearts are absolutely broken? I'd like to refer you to the story of King David. I mean, if you want to read about someone who knew how to worship in the good times and the bad, all you got to do is read through the book of Psalm. He demonstrates it for us beautifully. But you think about David's backstory. I mean, God had been good to him. He had helped him kill Goliath. He had called him to be the next king of Israel. He had protected him over and over again from Saul when he was trying to take his life. And then King David makes a monumental mistake. He has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And when she becomes pregnant, he arranges for her husband to be killed on the battlefield to try to cover up his sin. So he has committed adultery and he has committed murder. And the Lord says to him, the Lord rebukes him through the prophet Nathan and he says that the child born to him in Bathsheba would die. And I want you to read what happens to David. 2 Samuel 12, 15 to 20 says this, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. 
David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him the child's dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. And here's the kicker. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him with food, and he ate. Do you notice when David worships the Lord? When it's all over, and the child has died, and he knows he is not getting a happily ever after on this earth. And David's posture before the Lord is one of humility, and understanding the goodness of God in the midst of that, he goes and he worships the Lord. He understood that God was inherently good even when his circumstances would prove otherwise. Because worship is more than just praise and thanksgiving. It's also humility. It's bowing to the sovereignty of God in a situation. And so that's why we can worship God even when we don't get a happily ever after. I was reading Psalm 145 this morning in my devotions. I'm telling you, I read it and I thought, man, I'm to do this continually. I'm to do this for the rest of my life. The Bible says, you know, we're, we're, to, we're gonna praise him forever and ever. And I'm telling you, it starts here. I mean, we keep thinking that's what we'll do when we get to heaven. Right now, we're just gonna live our lives. We're gonna deal with the stuff that's in front of us. And then when we get there, all will be well. And then we will worship forever and ever. But that is not what scripture says. We are to start that now. We are to praise him without ceasing. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to worship continually, the Bible says. Continually starts now. This is our reality. This is our possibility right now in this day. And Psalm 145, these are just a few of the phrases. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Every day I will praise you. The Lord is loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to those who call on him. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord and let every creature praise his name forever and ever and ever. This is our call when we don't know where this ship is sailing, when we are in the middle of a mess, and when we do not get our happily ever after, it is still possible to worship. It is still possible. I'd like you to stand to your feet, please. Sometimes we worship because of what we feel. We feel gratitude and affection for the Lord. Other times we worship because of who we know. We know Him him who is always good. I, as I was worshiping this morning, I just, I just began to 
look back over my life, not just the cancer story, but so many other things that happened in the span of the last 20 years, some things that were hard, some times when Gary and I literally had to worship through tears because it was the only way we were gonna worship in that situation. And I thought today, I was like, I said to the Lord when I was up here worshiping, I said, you were worth it. You were just worth it. You were worth all of it. You are so good. You are so good in the midst of all those things. And I'm so grateful for you and for your unchanging nature. When everything around me crumbles, you have stood firm. And that is our testimony every single day. And we can worship him on that alone, just based on that alone. He is worthy of our worship. Hebrews 13, 14 and 15 says this, for here, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. A sacrifice of praise. How about it? Sometimes praise is a sacrifice. Sometimes it is a sacrifice because we've got to bring it from this place deep inside of us that trust that God is good no matter what. I don't know about you, but the longer I'm here on this earth, the gladder I am, it's temporary. You know, God has been good to me here in the land of the living. And I wanna soak up every single day he gives me. I believe I'm gonna be around for a long time. But the truth is, thank God, this is not it. This is not it because the Bible promises us that there will be a day when we get to heaven, there will be no more tears. It says sorrow and sighing will flee away. There's been a lot of sorrow and sighing in 2020. How about it? But it'll flee away. And so this isn't it. This is not it. We are looking toward our home that will be eternal. But we can start the praise now. We can start the worship now in the midst of it. This is what I love. And I think this is sometimes where we miss it when we tell people about Jesus. It's not just about us getting to heaven. Although I wanna see you all there. I really wanna see you all there. So we can continually worship him in his very presence, gathered around the throne. But the truth is he died for here too. He didn't just die for there, he died for here and now. And all the things that hurt so badly sometimes, we don't know if we can stand up under it. But he says, I'm good in the midst of it. The word says he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. And some of you need to know that today. He's right there. He's right there. I'd ask you to close your eyes and just take a moment with the Lord. If you have never made the decision to love and serve him with all of your heart, today gets to be that day. Because here's the thing, we all do get a happily ever after, someday, someday. It's not dependent on our circumstances, it is dependent on the God who loved us enough to send his son to die for us on a cross so that we could be forgiven and we could walk an empowered life here and we could walk with him forever when we get to heaven. And that is all available. If you are here today and you're saying, I, 
I want to know a God like that. A God that empowers me when opportunity knocks to praise Him in the midst of the darkness, but also promises me that something better, something better is right around the corner. If that's you today and you'd like to make that decision for the first time, would you raise your hand so we can pray with you and we can celebrate with you? God is good. God is good. God is good. And now I'm just wondering if there's anybody in the room who's having a little trouble worshiping today because you don't know where this thing's headed and you're in the middle of a mess or maybe you know that you're happily ever after in a given situation is not gonna happen here on earth. If that's you today and you're saying, God, I sign up to worship you no matter what. I am in this thing for the long haul because you are worthy and you are good. Would you raise your hands and just acknowledge God this morning with me? His goodness, yes, yes. He is good, he is faithful. Would you pray with me today? In the name of Jesus, I come before you with a heart of humility. I acknowledge my need of you. I thank you for forgiving my sins, for empowering me to live life here, and for the promise of a future forever with you. I choose to worship you this morning in the middle of the mess because you are worthy, you are good, you are kind, and you are steadfast. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when everything else falls away, you remain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus, thank you.